What's going on, everyone? Mike O here with another episode of Hobby Talk. Long overdue. I seem to say that very often, but times are tough. Sometimes it's hard to uh, get these things done, but I'm super excited to have my buddy Ed, aka Wesker Griff from YouTube, here today to talk a little bit about the sports card hobby. What's going on, Ed? Hey, Mike. Uh, thanks for having me back. Appreciate being back on the podcast. Looking forward to talking about all the hobby-related topics because there's a lot going on in the hobby yeah. right now. Yeah, there's definitely a ton to talk about, and especially because it's been so long. So usually we kind of have uh, people on and have like a centric topic, and today Ed and I are just going to talk. I mean, I have a few topics written down that we might chime in on, but we'll bounce around a little bit and just talk about this crazy hobby, the sports card hobby, sports card industry, as many people refer to it now. And I guess it is an industry because, well, there's a lot of money in it from so many angles. But uh, the sports card hobby, it's nuts on every level. The hobby, as I've stated before, has been growing for years, and it started growing exponentially in 2017, kind of the return of the rookie hype like strong rookie hype with some of the guys in 2017, such as Aaron Judge and then Cody Bellinger making a splash at the big league level. 2018, 19, now 2020, of course. You know, I think it got a boost in attention as there was so much downtime in 2020, but the hobby is just bonkers. It's crazy. We could probably use a lot of expletives to describe it, but I choose not to do that on this uh this show, we keep it family friendly. Ed, what are your current thoughts on this uh, this bonkers hobby? I don't even know where to begin. Exactly, because every single aspect, every single aspect feels like a like a war is being raged. Like you have the craziness with Graydon, with you know the huge insane backlogs at all three. Uh, third-party grading companies, PSA, BGS, and SGC. You have the absolute pandemonium going on with retail, and that's probably the worst aspect of the hobby right now. Then you have just some of the insane price spikes that you're seeing on base rookie cards in gem mint examples. So there's just... It's it's getting more and more, you know, 2020, it's been getting more and more difficult to be a collector uh, this year. It's just there's so many things going on that normally have not happened in the hobby, but we're trying to make do everyone here in the YouTube community and every everyone at large. But it's been difficult. But I. Uh, it's just so much to unpack going on right now. Let's uh, start off real quick. Uh, some thoughts. And this is actually a video that I wanted to do at one point and never got around to it. And I am kind of feel like I've gotten past the point. But the hobby and anxiety within it, I know it's something I felt at one point, And I still can at times feel so because this hobby is supposed to be fun. That's what it's supposed to be, a hobby, an escape from – all the troubles of real life and especially in a year like this where you know there's just so much uncertainty with the economy 
with jobs, you know, with family, with family events, things being postponed, inability to really kind of live a completely normal life. Sure, there tends to be uh, some more normalcy that develops, but things kind of get altered. A lot of people, you know, have spent some time out of work um, or have had to alter their kind of lifestyle drastically. I know we both fall into those categories. And with everything going on between the ridiculousness of political talk, which is inescapable because it's on the news 24-7, you try and go on Facebook just to see, you know, browse around, see how people are doing, and you get bombarded with the lunatics on there. And obviously, you know, like I said, all the pandemic shutdowns and kind of things going on with that. And then the hobby starts spiraling out of control. And there's various levels to that, right? It's so expensive, no matter what you want to do. So expensive to grade, so expensive to buy hobby, expensive to buy retail or virtually impossible to buy retail. And then even what you do have in your collection, some of it, if you've been collecting for years, has spiked so much that it kind of makes you nervous because all of a sudden, I mean, and don't get me wrong, it's great when things you own rise in value, but some of it is stuff you just kind of had as secondary stuff and then you all of a sudden you're like, well, should I sell it? Can I sell it? What happens if I sell it? Now I'm seeing all these people, you know, returning stuff on eBay, so do I even want to get involved in that? Picking the right time to sell things, then you have to start worrying about, you know, your collection, like, I, I don't know. There's just something so crazy and up and down about it. And I don't even know if I'm making complete sense, though I feel like most people would probably feel some sort of similarity uh, with this and kind of the crazy spikes and changes in rookie cards and such. What uh, what are your thoughts, Ed? I know I know you've probably had some, uh, some of these similar thoughts at some times during the course of this year. Oh, for sure. And I know we've discussed this plenty of times but not on the podcast form but anxiety in the hobby is a very real thing it's something that a lot of people don't talk about but it's very much real and it's just i mean try even even trying to explain it you get anxiety <laughs> trying to explain it but you know you want to you see all the horror stories out there basically on social media. That's the one thing with social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, whatever social media platform you're using, you know, you're constantly reading horror stories, whether it's people getting physical at Target or Walmart over retail blasters, or, you know, someone making a sale on eBay and then they get hit with a chargeback or a case open on PayPal because said player got injured or said player, uh, value is no longer what you sold it for. And these are all things that, you know, are kind of new phenomenons in 2020. And with everything going on in the country, with all the uncertainty, and then just, as you mentioned, all the political stuff, political rhetoric going on, it's just such an amped up atmosphere. And for a lot of us, the hobby is an escape. And, you know, making videos on YouTube is also an escape for me. I enjoy making YouTube videos. I've been doing them for like 10 plus years. That's kind of my hobby collecting ritual. 
it's a way that I enjoy the hobby. And, you know, just everything that you've been, like, all this second guessing going on, you know, do I sell this card? Do I not? Well, now you got to think, well, if I sell this card, you know, is the person that's going to buy the card an honest individual that will, you know, not try something shady where, oh, the case is scratched. Oh, the card, there's something wrong with the card, even though that, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, these are emotions that I kind of never felt before. So it's like new territory within the hobby for me personally. I know other people are going through it and it's just, it's a, it's a weird feeling because it's not something that I felt before as, as a collector, as someone who enjoys this hobby and it, it's bizarre. And I think one of the things with the whole selling aspect is, is that we would both qualify or quantify or describe ourselves how whatever the proper term is as collectors uh we certainly both sell some things time to time uh from time to time because you just have to it is there's a very small percentage of people who never sell any cards it's a very small percentage especially if you ever break anything like it's been like this for years but more so now than ever i mean whether you can afford the break a couple hobby boxes or a case or whatever, like not everything's going to fit in your collection. You don't have space for everything and you can't necessarily afford that much. So that's the way you can justify doing that. If you're like, all right, I'm going to spend a thousand dollars on a case of cards and I can bank on, you know, maybe reselling $500 worth to bring back some money from the expenditure and then you get what you get, you keep what you keep, you know, whatever you do. I mean, I think that's just a way that many people who don't have, uh, you know, limitless funds can break stuff. And even when it comes to buying singles, singles and such have become so expensive. It's like, you can only have so much of a hobby budget. So sometimes you're going to have to move some stuff in your collection to, make adjustments to your collection when you want to pick up more stuff. And I think it's just one of those things that everyone to a degree is going to be like this. It's very hard. It's what you have to do is you just have to sell things and forget about it. You don't want to be haunted by mistakes. And it's not that you need to need to, or feel the need to get every dime or every dollar out of a card, but it's not a good feeling if you sell a card for 50 bucks and three months later, you see it going legitimate sales for like four or five hundred. But then again, the same thing is if there's a card you want to purchase and you pay a hundred bucks, you know, you don't want to purchase it for a hundred bucks and then see it for fifteen dollars in three months. And you don't want to pass on a card that's a hundred dollars that's now eight hundred dollars. Like you want to work out a fair deal and have a fair deal. And I think it's that crazy quick rises and drops and all that stuff that really kind of triggers all those feelings you know generally speaking if you get a fair price for things or if you make a you know make a decision to sell something and you want to rebuy it back you don't want to have to pay tenfold so it's just i think it's the wildly crazy way this hobby's been going that kind of breeds a lot of those uh kind of anxiety ridden feelings sometimes when you're trying to decide, you know, what should I do with some of this stuff? You know, bringing up the price, you know, 
the prices being low. I think you said a card that's a hundred dollars, and then the next minute it becomes eight eight hundred. I think a great example of that, and this is a. I, I think a lot of people are well aware of this story with me to talk about the 2011 Tops update, Mike Trout. That's a card that. You know, I'm going to speak honestly. That's a card, when I look at that card, I absolutely hate that card. Like, I have intense dislike for that card for the sole purpose that, you know, I had, like, around four or five copies of that card back in 2011 because at the time I opened a lot of 2011 tops, Series 1 and Series 2, and Update because at the time my plan was to get those cards signed TTM to try to do a set because that was like a pretty big thing going on around the YouTube TTM community at that time to do specific baseball sets TTM wise to get them all autographed. And I was kind of flirting with the idea of doing 2011. So moral story is I opened a lot of 2011 product and I had quite a number of trouts, sent a few out TTM, uh, never got them back. And you know, at the time, Mike Trout in 2011 was not a good baseball player. Uh, the Angels were thinking about sending him down. Uh, he was struggling. I think he was in like 190. So I didn't think much of it. It wasn't really, you know, the Trout of 2011 wasn't the Trout of now. So it wasn't really a big deal. You know, it was a no-brainer to try to get him to sign a TTM because he was, at the time, signing TTM. So... You go to the National, I mean, obviously everyone knows the history of that card and how expensive that card is, but, you know, I I had copies of the card and I don't have it anymore. I, it's not in my collection. You know, I, I, I gave one away to somebody, sent two out on a TTM request, didn't get them back, and sold one for, like, 25 bucks. So... <laughs> I mean, that's kind of a hobby nightmare right there. Uh, that would give you a lot of anxiety and a lot of – it would build up a lot of resentment almost if you think about it. But then the National comes, and I went to the National last year kind of with a game plan to pick that card up to uh, try to find just an example of the card. And there wasn't really any uh, examples I could find – that were below a PSA 10. It seemed like most of the dealers there had it for a PSA 10 and almost all the dealers there were selling it for 950 to a thousand dollars. So, you know, I don't I, Most of the people listening won't know my finances, but I don't have 950 to a thousand dollars to spend on one card. And I don't think I could justify it to myself to spend $950 or a thousand dollars on one card. Now we all know in 2020, or if you don't know, that card quadrupled in price. There were times in 2020 where that card was selling for $4,000 in a PSA 10. So the $1,000 price tag was an absolute bargain. And when I see this and I see the prices and I see, and I see it going up, it just fuels the resentment. It fuels the anxiety. And overall, it just feels a whole bunch of negative feelings that I've never experienced in the hobby towards a specific card. And now whenever I see that card, like if I'm at a show, if I'm at a card show or if I'm browsing eBay and that card pops up and I see it, I, you know, my first reaction is to cringe. And my second reaction is to just be like so angry at myself and to be angry 
at the card, which, you know, all these emotions go through it that normally I would never get. And no other card I feel that way about. And it's going to be weird down the line because that card is probably going to be the most quote unquote iconic card from this era. So it's not going away nowhere. Uh, so it's just something I'm going to have to get over. But I personally, I don't think I'm ever going to get over it until I probably pony up and buy the card. I mean, either way, you're probably still never going to forget it. I mean, I have tons of personal horror stories and it's one of those things like, so for my journey, I got into cards in the late eighties, 1989 at the age of seven and collected a ton, obviously very young at the time into the nineties, um, through the nineties with my dad, uh, pretty much exclusively baseball. I probably did some football in like 95, 96, um, and then did some more football. I actually did some basketball for some reason in 96, 97. I don't even remember why. Um, probably got talked into it from someone at a card show or something because I was never a big basketball fan. Uh, obviously, primarily still baseball. And, you know, I definitely used to do a little more football. But collecting-wise, I've always collected cards to some degree, but I was also grew up on starting lineups, huge starting lineup fan. I mean, at one point, I probably had like 800 starting lineups. And eventually, I still have all my Phillies and uh, my Drew Bledsoe collection and a few of the earlier New England Patriots and such. Uh, and I still have some others, but I did sell off a lot of them at one point. And was also naturally got right into the McFarlane figures, had a fun time kind of chasing them and running around following them for years. So I, you know, I didn't always go 100% into sports cards because I was doing the figures and I've always done Phillies memorabilia as well, some of the Phillies sales and such. And I just remember, you know, after college and stuff, you know, you're in a position where you need some money and I sold off some of the card collection and just at that point, like the way the hobby was, it was kind of like, you know what, I could sell some of these off and I'll just maybe someday buy them again. And that's where some of my horror stories are. 93 SP Jeters, I think I had three of them. And they were all like BGS 8s, but probably got like 40 bucks a piece on eBay, maybe 50. I don't even remember. And they're obviously hundreds and hundreds of dollars now. I actually sold some of my original Brady rookies that I had, you know, back before anyone cared about him. And there's a few that I sold and I've seen them, you know, graded versions, even in nines sell for like the one, I forget it. I never loved the card. I think it was like a collector's edge card, but it was numbered. It was like 750 or a thousand. I'm pretty sure I've seen them sell for like 1500, $2,000. And I'm just like, Oh my goodness. And you know, so much more that I obviously wish I would have, kept but you know that's what you did at the time i know i definitely had a bunch of kobe bryant rookies and tim duncan rookies sometimes when i see the basketball prices i'm just like for those i could care less about the cards because i have no interest in the basketball cards for my collection but I, you still have that kind of like oh they're like two thousand dollar cards or thousand dollar cards and i probably sold them for like five bucks and everyone's going to feel that in some way, shape, or form. If you sell your house, if you have a house and you sell it for 150000 and suddenly it's worth four you're going to feel the same way. 
Um, that's just kind of the nature be like, Oh, well, I messed up and you can't dwell on it. But that is one of the things those missed opportunities, the fear of missing out. That's why that's such a big thing in this hobby, because people have told these stories about things, mistakes they've made. And it's just, it kind of bugs, bugs you and sticks with you. And you're just like, why the hell did I do that? And just missed opportunities, buying things as well. I think I usually say this in regards, well, this is one of the things I always say about playing fantasy sports, but you always remember your losses more than the wins. So you remember the times you won the championships in, uh, in, in football or baseball, but you don't, rem- but you, you always remember those losses. You remember those times where you had the heartbreak and that's kind of, you know, similar. I, I guarantee everyone listening to this has a story similar to me or similar to you, where they just they made a colossal mistake like that, and it probably, you know, for a good deal of us, it, it does eat at you, and it kind of changes your behavior in the hobby a little bit. But in your case, like what you should have done was bought a trout when it was three hundred or 500 or a thousand. And maybe right now you should go buy one. that's 2,600. Who knows? Maybe it'll be 5,000, but it could also be down to a thousand. So it's easier said than done because you really don't know where it's going. It's the prices are ridiculous right now. Cause I feel the same way. One of the cards I've always wanted in my collection, like truly want it, not just been like, Oh, that's a cool card or, Oh, I see this person has it. It's making me want to go look it up. The uh, 2000 uh, Metal Universe Tom Brady rookie have always wanted that card, even back when it was probably like a $3 card. And just for whatever reason, never picked it up. Had some years, you know, a couple years there where I would still buy some packs and stuff like that, but really wasn't actively seeking out cards. And, you know, obviously went and started winning Super Bowls and all that stuff, but it was still always a really affordable card even as of a couple years ago i was bidding on a psa 9 i decided i was like you know i'm gonna buy this card finally i'm watching this couple of them ending psa 9 metal universe card for like 120 bucks i agree to uh watch a friend's dog or cat i I forget because they always have new animals And because of that freaking animal, I was bidding on a card and I got distracted and missed throwing in my last bid, got outbid, lost it for like 130 bucks. was very willing to put in like 180, whatever. And I remember I was like, damn, how did I miss that deal? Figuring that deal would come along again. And of course they start rising and you pass on it a few times and it's hard to go pay 200 you know, within a week of missing a chance to get it for maybe 150, whatever. And then it was 305. And now that card, even in the last, I've been following it for, and I've had chances to buy it for 500 or 800. And now it's like $1,200 or whatever. I mean, that's the asking prices. Maybe at auction, you would get it a little cheaper. And I'm just like, now at this point, I'm kind of like, I really want to add that to the collection, but how do I justify paying 10 times the price that it was a year or two ago? And that's one of the things with these crazy spikes, as great as it is, and we know it's great because we both have cards in our collection that have escalated in price exponentially, but you're still going to have a hard time not focusing on those cards that you really wanted to pick up 
and you feel as if you've missed out. How do you justify paying those prices? But then also when there's a crazy spike, that's the anxiety will creep in, especially with everything going on with 2020 on. If I sell this card, will the buyer be an honorable individual? And I've had this with Carson Wentz. Uh, Carson Wentz's, I have a Carson Wentz Prism rookie card. I have a PSA 10 and I have a PSA 9. I had them, I bought the PSA 10 for $100 maybe like two years ago. And I've had the PSA 9. It was actually gifted to me by Be More Greg like back in 2016. So that's staying in the collection forever. But I had the PSA 10. So I look at the price. Remember, I paid $100 for it. I look at the price. At one point this year, that card was going for $950. And I'm like, I really like Carson Wentz. But nine times what I paid for the card, I can buy something really, really special in the Eagles collection. Maybe I could get a PSA 9 or PSA 10 Reggie White rookie card. Maybe I can turn this Wentz into that. And I really, really, really wanted to sell the PSA 10 prism of Wentz because I'm happy with the 9. I already have the card in my collection. There's no need for me to have two copies of the card, especially when the card is selling for that much. But then it creeps into my mind, well, wait a minute. If I sell the card on eBay and a flipper or one of these sneaker heads or, you know, one of these guys buying into the hype, if they buy the card for 950 and then come week five, you know, the Eagles are doing what they're doing now. You know, that card's not 950 anymore. I, I haven't checked it, but I would imagine that card is probably around like four or five hundred dollars now. Do you think the person that paid nine fifty is not gonna maybe do something, you know, shady? So this is all stuff going through my mind, and I'm sure it's going through the minds of other collectors who maybe want to sell some things that have a lot of volatility to it. And it's just so it it, it just feeds into that anxiety beast. And what I wind up doing is I didn't sell the card. I didn't. I don't want to go through that. I don't want to go through that hassle. I don't want to go through that frustration. If I'm going to sell the card now, I'll do it in person at a show where I can see the person face to face and we can hash it out there. But that's if, if I sell the card. And I don't even think I'm going to do it now. Because for the price that it's going for now, I'd rather just keep it in the collection. Yeah, might as well just stick it out till it gets hot again. But of course, all these things are easier said than done. It's it's easier to say, you know, oh, don't worry about it or get over it or forget about it. But it's just those things that are going to stick with you a little bit. And that's what uh, the ridiculous of the hobby can do to you uh, mentally if you dwell on it too much. And obviously neither of us feel this way 24 seven, but you're definitely gonna have pockets of time where you feel anxious about the hobby because it can become overwhelming and too much. And you start looking around and you're like, look how much I have. Um, you know, what the hell am I doing? Like, this is crazy. Uh, but also like you have to be sold. Like, are you really sold that this, this hobby boom is sustainable long-term? I mean, if you really, from a practical sense think about it and you think about 
the continued uncertainty of, you know, the economy, like where are things going from here? Is it going to bounce back? Is it going to get better? How long will it drop off a lot more? I mean, we really don't have a lot of answers. Um, obviously we've seen a little bit of pullback in some of the prices of certain cards lately, but still most stuff is kind of crazy and there's ebb and flows with how players produce on the field and, you know, what's kind of hot at the moment right now. Basketball just concluded, so people are paying a lot of attention to uh, LeBron James and even some of the uh, players out there. I mean, some of the rookies have dropped off, but, you know, NFL's in full swing, baseball's in its postseason, so there's a lot of uh, competition among the sports with the hobby. But it's like, how much do you believe? Because, you know, some people are just gotten into the hobby this year. They might be under the uh, illusion that this is the way it's always been and the way it always will be, and we've seen that. I've I've seen the market drop off substantially in some ways and we've seen it rise again and we've seen it rise incrementally for years but we saw it explode this year and the explosions where the danger comes because it just gets to a point where it's like when are people going to run out of money when are enough people going to get fed up that they drop off and that's one of the things that makes you think like oh should I move some of this or should I keep everything like I'm of the mindset where it's like things I have duplicates of, I should probably move them because I, like you, don't really need the duplicates. In a way, sometimes if it's a favorite player of yours, it, it can be kind of fun to pick some stuff up and hoard a few of the same card. There's something kind of fun about just picking them up at different levels, but when you really think about it, it's like you really don't need more than one. What's the point? And, you know, just making those decisions and taking action on it, 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 it can take a lot because... It's just crazy. I mean, I, I definitely, I think we all adjust uh, throughout our collecting lives and we change and you kind of get into it and you're into the modern stuff. Me personally, I've gotten more and more interested in pre-war, which is generally speaking, actually fairly rare or at least has a limited number. And I think some of that stuff can be fun, especially some of the unique, crazy stuff that I kind of look for for the Phillies collection. And even vintage. Now, vintage has been rising as well, but I still think there's an opportunity to kind of diversify the collection a little bit. And I personally like the low graded vintage. I actually just picked up a bunch of Phillies cards that I'll be showing off soon. Anywhere from like two to five bucks in PSA 3 to PSA 5s, lower graded vintage stuff. And I'm just like, how could I go wrong with this? Really can't. You can have a lot of fun with that. And, uh, enjoy it and as for the modern stuff you know sometimes it makes sense you know what and i know eric those back pages has been uh, talking about this for a long time but more so than ever it's like if you can buy a psa 9 great example of a card for 100 bucks doesn't that make more sense than paying a thousand dollars for a psa 10 that looks virtually the same i mean it's kind of a no-brainer right yeah i agree i've been buying more nines just because of the huge price discrepancy between the 10 and the 9. Classic example for me this year was Bo Bichette. I really like Bo Bichette. I bought one of his cards at the National last year, one of his uh, Heritage Minor League cards in a PSA 10 for 20 bucks. And this year, you know, with the boom of the hobby, uh, a PSA 10 of Bo Bichette, I think, was like 120 bucks. 
and I flat out refuse to pay that because even though I'm really high on Boba Shed and I really like his skill set, I'm not going to pay 120 bucks for a guy who's only played maybe under 100 games in the major leagues. But his PSA 9, I think, was $40. So it's like that's a no-brainer to me. I'll buy the 9 because the difference between the PSA 9 and the PSA 10, I mean, let's get real. You look at the card side-by-side. Side, if the grade's covered up, you're not going to be able to tell most of the time which one's the 9 and which one's the 10. The differences are very, very minuscule in most cases. You can do that with vintage a lot too because I've been looking at stuff and sometimes you, it's very easy to get caught up in the grade. And everyone says, including you know myself, buy the card, not the grade. But sometimes you really have to force yourself to do so because there's times I look at cards and I'm like, you can buy a card with a simple surface wrinkle that you honestly don't see unless you're staring at it. And like you get that in like a two or a three and then there's a five or a six, which is a worse looking card that goes for way more because it's off center and stuff. And it's like, okay, like the corners are pretty sharp, but the card's off center. This one is well centered, has really good color, but there's a wrinkle that's dropping it down. So, I mean, those are just the things you have to do and there are adjustments we have to make. And we don't didn't really intend on this being a dark and uh, depressing type of episode. But, you know, there's just things that sometimes you got to get out. You know, I think we thought we would talk about this for like 10 minutes and now it's been over 30. So we'll move on a little bit, Ed, unless you have uh, any last thoughts you want to get out on that topic. That was 30 minutes of therapy. The there therapeutic, The therapeutic podcast of White Go and Wesker Griff. So we'll do a few negative topics real quick. <laughs> and then we'll talk about some other stuff. But real quick, Ed, uh, our buddy JT, Triple Crown 24, and Phil, who's Filmington on YouTube. Those guys uh, recently did a collab. They did about an hour discussion. Very good. Definitely recommend everyone checking it out. And they talked about grading and stuff like that. But they also brought up COMC, COMC. And I used to be a really big fan of them. It's a really nice layout. And it's a great ability to buy an individual card, see the photo of that individual card. And literally, you could buy cards. You could sit there and pick out and purchase 50 cards and get them all shipped out that day. Or you could purchase 300 cards over the course of three months and have them all shipped together. Big consignment shop used to be a lot of fun. Kind of convenient. I would buy a lot of um, obscure Phillies cards and parallels that... One, you don't see on eBay too often because they're just not popular enough to justify all the listing fees and relisting it a hundred times because it take a while for someone to find it. And, you know, the pricing and the shipping and all that. And then you have other websites uh, such as, what's it, Sports Lots, Sport Lots, whatever the website is. That That's a good site to buy some cheap stuff. But there's no photos and such, so you're just kind of taking a gamble that you're not going to get a card that's severely off-center or something. But COMC used to be really good, COMC. And I used to always have fun with it. A couple times a year, get an order in, show it off, and you'd have a nice mix of stuff and fun stuff to add to the collection. Never really bought much high-end stuff. Uh, it, it was more of like, as JT described it, like the world's biggest dollar store or dollar box. 
that place, I don't know what your feelings are, Ed, because we didn't really discuss it, but I am so disgusted with them. I mean, they've been using the the pandemic excuse for months. I mean, that is no longer a legitimate excuse for them. Hire some more people and send your stuff out. I have an order that I requested shipment in July, early July, that still hasn't shipped. I think it was scheduled to finally ship two days ago and still hasn't shipped. Like three months, it's totally unacceptable. They don't answer you. They've been getting blasted on Twitter by some high-profile people in the hobby. I know they're ripping off their sellers, charging them storage fees, and no one's buying because who wants to buy stuff from a store that's not going to send your common cards for three months? They're a disgrace, and honestly, I'm literally – it sounds mean and it sounds bad, but I'm actually actively rooting against them. I, I, I would like to see them send everything back to the sellers and close shop because they are a disgrace. I've never seen a company – screw up so much and fall from the graces uh so quickly in every aspect it's it's embarrassing and i used to sell stuff with them years ago i mean i haven't sent them anything to sell for a long time but i always enjoyed buying stuff and i'm so like they literally want to double the shipping charge for it to get to you two days earlier and then if you do want to get it in three weeks or four it's not like overnight they want to charge you like 40 30 40 bucks for it like what a disgrace yet they're selling stuff on ebay non-stop and they're shipping that stuff right away because they have to so i just had to get a little rant out there on cmc give you a chance to uh think about it or talk about it if there was something you wanted to get on but i actually just cleared out the money i had in that account uh because they they rip you off once you um once you have money in the account, they charge you something uh, ridiculous, I believe. I think that's still in effect to you know, take the cash back. Otherwise, you have to go buy a gift certificate to something. So I, I used it, bought some stuff I want for the collection that uh, I should get by uh, late January or February if I'm lucky. So basically, next spring training, which is embarrassing, totally unacceptable, and not that they care because they don't bother uh, I don't even know if they have anyone working for them in customer service anymore, but very, very bad. Mike Go unleashed. I mean, sometimes I, it just has to be said. I honestly, I'm, I'm not really familiar with the situation with COMC. I did get an order off them, I would say maybe like a month ago. And it was for some Anthony Santander cards. It was a very small order. It was only about like eight cards. And I did the express shipping, I think, which was $4 more than the economy. And I did get it shipped in a pretty decent in a pretty decent window. I think they shipped it out like a week after I requested it. So I didn't have any issues doing the, the rush service. But I imagine it's way more uh, of a premium if you have a lot of cards. But other than that, I haven't really had any interactions with ComC, so I really can't uh, comment too much on what's going on. But I have, I saw Pat Nishak uh, went after them on Twitter, and I have been seeing screenshots and different photos on Facebook and Twitter of people uh, just getting like insanely long wait times on shipping re- on shipping request, like almost like four to five months. Yeah, so that it's, is, it's so bad. That doesn't seem feasible for 
that does not seem feasible for a uh, small business like Comsay. I mean, I think they're putting any resources they have at shipping the eBay stuff. And now if we get one order out a week, so be it. But we'll move on. A uh, little disappointment with, with Tops. Uh, I was able to get a box of, well, I know you failed to get a box of Tops Chrome Sapphire, even though you won the raffle. And let me just start off by saying I, I like Tops. I've always defended Tops. Uh, I've seen people complain about Tops for years. I love their designs. I love the effort they put into getting the majority of autographs on card. I like the fact that they take the nostalgic approach with many products because to me that's one of the special things about baseball cards. And then they do have all the chrome and finest, so they have a nice mix of, of products. And I've been a you know a customer of Tops for thirty years. And I always look forward to the flagship year after year. And I look forward to some of the higher-end products as well. But this Chrome Sapphire situation, disgrace, handled very poorly. I know you won the raffle to purchase one box of Topps Chrome Sapphire. You were shut out and unable to purchase one, even though you won a spot to buy one. Had the same situation with my dad. He also won a spot. And I know you were hours later. My dad was like an hour later unable to purchase one literally tried until the 24 hour deadline popped up and just shut out unable to buy one because i guess once again people are able to backdoor bots whatever however these people do this stuff we're able to take advantage and you know get a number of them so tops didn't have enough save there i was able to get two boxes because I had the 582 Montgomery Club subscription, which I'm sure will be impossible to buy this year because everyone's going to want it now with the way things have gone. I would hope Tops would give everyone a chance to renew or not renew. And if they do expand it, only expand it by a very small margin. But I don't know how they would even do that sale. Anyway, Sapphire come. Box is crushed. Now, Tops didn't crush the box. At least I don't think they did. I'm pretty certain it was crushed by FedEx and then FedEx delivered it to the local post office who dropped it off. And it could have been by the post office too. It's possible, but more than likely it seems like something that would have been done uh, along the way, not, you know, in the five miles or whatever it was from the post office. So this, this box comes crushed. I open it and the box of Sapphire is completely crushed. Now, the point is, like, I purchased them in my plans to open them, but I paid $300 for that box. It was like 50 bucks last year, paid 300 this year. They raised the price a ton. And hey, why not? They see the market value for Sapphire. But if I purchase that, if I wanted to sell it for, say, 500 I don't even know what they're going for now price might have come down because I've heard a lot of people complaining about what they've gotten out of Sapphire. I haven't really checked it out recently, but I'm unable to sell that box of cards if I choose to, to, you know, one of the big companies because they won't accept damaged product at all and pretty difficult to sell on the secondary market otherwise. So I have no chance to get my money back. And if I open it in all likelihood, based on how it's crushed and those boxes usually have enough space for cards to move if you were to drop the box. So they usually aren't damaged. I haven't opened yet. I'd be shocked if the cards aren't damaged. 
I've been waiting at this point because I was waiting for a response back from Tops. Their customer service, total disgrace. Had a bad interaction with them. I've been posting stuff on Twitter every day to them. Of course, you never hear back. FedEx got back to me, said they were sorry about the situation. They told me, oh, contact Tops and have them make a claim. And I told them, well, I did. And they're not interested in filing a claim. I'm like, I spent $300 on this product. If you guys aren't shipping it insured or whatever, I don't know what comes with the FedEx. You know, obviously they have a, a big corporate account, so I'm sure there's some kind of protection. Tops won't take the time to do that when the product was delivered damaged. So that upsets me. Uh, the representative on the phone was rude and kind of totally unempathetic and empathetic. Uh, they just didn't care. And that was just a very bad ex experience. And I'm not going to, even though I'm a Topps fan, at times a Topps fanboy, I'm not going to just sit there and just take it. I'm going to be vocal and complain about it because I'm not happy. I'm disappointed that the product arrived damaged. And the thing with an unopened product, you don't know what's inside. There could be absolutely nothing there. It could be a bunch of common cards or there could be a super fractor or something great. I don't know yet, but it arrived damaged and that's not what I paid for. And it's very disappointing that Tops just literally shrugs her shoulders and couldn't care less when you've spent God knows how much money over the course of 30 years and over the last few years, uh, specifically directly through them, not just through distributors or retail stores. So this has turned into quite the rant um, podcast, but even Upper Deck, uh, they saw this stuff going on on Twitter and they contacted me and I actually just got a box in the mail from them with some goodies. So I will show that off in an upcoming video, but props to Upper Deck for stepping up. Definitely unnecessary, but I appreciate it. And tops, I, you know, I was waiting for some sort of answer, but. I take it I won't get one. So I will definitely break that damage box of uh, Sapphire sometime soon. The only thing I got from the uh, representative is, well, do you know how to find the damage claim form on the website? And I was like, yeah, I do know how. And my question for you is, do you know if they even have replacements for these cards? He said, oh, I have no idea. Said, is there someone you can contact? No. Is there a manager I can speak to? Uh, no, there's not. And even if you if there were, they'd tell you the same thing. I'm like, dude, what? I basically eventually lost it on them. And to me, it was justified because I spent an hour and a half on hold to, you know, get a bunch of bogus answers. Any comments, Ed? Like a horror story. I was going to say the one time I won the raffle. <laughs> the one time I won the raffle. But now maybe, hey, who knows? Maybe it was a good thing I didn't win the – I didn't – purchase the box uh that's horrible what happened with you it's just frustrating again maybe i got lucky and the cards aren't damaged but it sure as hell looks like they probably are it's just like the treatment it's like i'm like i can't believe you're taking me so for granted and unfortunately and i guess fortunately for them there's really not much of another choice i mean Panini's been stepping up the baseball products lately, but it's still not the same. And again, I, I like Tops. I would never want Tops to go away, but I think maybe we need some competition. I think competition would be very helpful and healthy for this uh, hobby. So uh, to put a little pressure on all the different companies to you know make sure they sell 
what they need to sell. So again, didn't really anticipate all this negativity. You know, we're talking about anxiety and comp C and tops, but I guess some of these experiences are the things that kind of pent you up and get you kind of frustrated and I, I don't know. Not not everything Mike. in the hobby is always, uh, you know, not always uh, perfect. And this year's an example of that. And just think, we didn't even talk about retail. <laughs> I know. I almost want to put that off because then next thing you know, people are going to be like, that's it. I can't take this complaining nonsense. But I, but I, I do feel like most people understand because this, this is – this is an exaggeration. This is reality of what is going on. Um, it's it's crazy. Let's uh, before we get into retail, let's talk briefly about grading. Obviously, oh, and we're not going to spend too much time, but virtually nothing's changed in the grading world. There is just continues to be more and more demand for it. The more and more people getting involved in the hobby. It's no longer just a bunch of people who are kind of, you know, you had that the old school collectors that were totally anti-grading saw, you know, is just unnecessary. Now you have more and more people who, because of the price rises, have bought into it. So now they're grading. People who never used to grade in the past. And people coming in feels if it's a necessity because one, all the high-end cards, you kind of want to know what you're selling and the buyers want to know what they're buying. And at least by having that assigned grade, they have a number to place on the market value. And they, you know, people who are just getting in might not have the experience of what a card should look like at a certain grade. But PSA, completely overwhelmed. They're now jacking up the prices on ultra-modern cards, which is the bulk of the problem, because people are literally ripping things, and, you know, you can't blame people. If you can take a $2 card and turn it into a $30 card, or a $5 card and turn it into a $50 card, why wouldn't you? But PSA, still behind. They're taking 9 to 10 weeks to log an order, and then who knows if they're going to actually reach the date. I give them a lot of credit. I will say a positive thing about PSA. I bought a Scott Rowland, mislabeled Scott Rowland, uh, rookie refractor from Bowman's Best months ago at this point, right? It was mislabeled, send it, you know, took my time, eventually sent it back. They did take a while to get it back to me, and I was disappointed. There was there was something in the holder on the front and the back, and that's like the worst because it's so distracting. Totally took away from the card. So disappointed in that. Sent it back. They just finally, they got it, I don't know, maybe a week ago. They logged it like a day or two ago, and they left me a message today and sent me an email, and that card's done, and it's on the way back, so I should have it in a day or two. Now, I'm crossing my fingers and hoping it comes back fine. The woman on the phone left the message, said, you know, it looks great. We got the debris out. It didn't affect the grade or anything like that. So they're quick on that, but I also have some 40-day orders sitting there from early July, and I have an order that I sent in close to 10 weeks ago that still hasn't been logged. So they're obviously behind, and I don't see them catching up anytime soon with the amount that people are going to send in. SGC has obviously been well behind. Love SGC. I think the holders look great. I totally respect the grading. I don't think they get enough love in the hobby. 
And I think part of that, again, is these influencers who are just pushing the idea of investing, investing, and flipping, and take the most money you can as quickly as possible. And they want the PSA because the PSA are higher. So that divide exists. I mean, I think if you're a smarter collector and more interested in the cards than the you know cases, you'd be seeking out SGCs, but maybe that's just me. BGS is, you know, way behind. They're kind of perpetually behind as well. I, I can't say that I know a lot about what's going on there because I really don't uh, pay much attention, but I'm pretty sure they have some sort of bulk services. Um, that I'm pretty are like sure they raise turnaround. prices too. What's that? I'm pretty sure they raise their prices too with PSA, BGS. I think they raise some of their prices. Probably. I know they're, I know they're, they have some orders to take a long time. So that's kind of the way things are going and grading. It's just uh, prices for PSA 10s are crazy. I'd expect 9s to continue to rise, even on ultra-modern stuff, because when you think about it, I mean, if a card's a $2 card and you got to spend 15 to get it, grade it, and wait months on end, if you can get that 9 and you just really want it slabbed, if you can get that for 15 or 20 bucks. Might not be, uh, might be the way to go. So the grading market's crazy right now, and it's obviously very expensive. And that's another thing when it comes to feeling like you have to sell some stuff. Because you know, if you enjoy getting cards, grade it. If you enjoy the hobby of getting them encapsulated and kind of adding that eye appeal to your collection, that gets very expensive very quickly. Yes, with the rise of prices and getting getting cards graded, I mean, I'm finding myself having to slim down some of my submissions because normally I send around eight to maybe 15 cards somewhere in between there. But now I would say the last couple of submissions that I've sent out for grade and I've, I've gone lower than that just because of the rise in prices that keep going up with PSA uh, and the other third party grading companies. But one of the things I have noticed and hopefully, uh, well, I'll say it anyway. Uh, I wasn't planning on probably saying this, but I have noticed across the board, I think PSA 9s, I think they're ultimately going to see an increase in price uh, in the secondary market because I watch a ton of bulk submissions, submission reveal videos on YouTube and uh, from the people who post them in the community. And I've noticed the gem rates are down across the board. Like a lot of people's gem rates, you know, we're probably around like 70 to 80%. I would say the gem rates now are maybe around 50 for most uh, who send big submission, big bulk submissions. So you're seeing a lot more uptick in mint cards and PSA nines. And with the prices increasing on getting these cards graded, I think, you're going to see the PSA 9s probably go up a little bit, and you're going to see PSA 10s probably climb because to try to get a PSA 10 now is more difficult. And, you know, I don't have statistics to back that up, what I'm saying, but I just, it's just something that I've been noticing watching. And I know YouTube is a very, 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 very small part of the overall hobby and people who sent in submissions to PSA. 
but from what I have seen consistently across the board in submission reveal videos, those nines are up and the tens are down. Yeah, there's no doubt they've tightened up. And whether it's they've trained new graders to be a little more strict or if it's for other reasons or if they've decided um, or if it comes with experience, but there's no doubt in my mind they've become a little tighter. Absolutely no doubt in my mind just from my own experience and like you seeing other people. There are more modern cards coming back as sevens and eights than ever before, and there's definitely more nines. The nine to ten ratio is up. I mean, again, I don't have the numbers. I just have my eyes and what I've seen. And, I mean, you can make the case it should have been like that for a while because I think there was definitely a time they were a little more lenient and you could find the smallest of little things. And it wouldn't be that big of a deal because a nine and ten can be so so close it can be the smallest of little surface marks that no one is ever going to notice that could drop it to a nine but i mean obviously that's going to lead to a lot of frustration and disappointment if people are sending in spending a lot of money and waiting a long time and they're expecting one thing and they're getting back something else and if you expected the nines that'd be one thing but when when things tend to start changing a little bit, there's going to be, uh, you know, some frustration that comes with that. But I don't think there's a whole lot you can do about that. Um, I, I think there's always evolutions in grading. I actually feel like SGC is tightened up a little bit on the modern. But that could be just from an order or two I've seen. Or it could be, you know something that is happening and that just that might just be more experience because they probably had a lot of graders there that were a little more used to grading the uh you know the vintage stuff and such and when you're looking at vintage cards and then you look at a modern card your first thought is man this card's perfect it's spotless what could be wrong with it but if you look closer but that might all just be guesses on my part but the grading game is definitely red hot and it's overwhelming and costly and there's so many things we could talk about wanted to touch on modern and vintage a little bit but i think ed we've been going close to an hour now got to make mention of retail it's impossible not to uh the state of retail has been a topic in the youtube community for a long time you see it on facebook groups and twitter but it's real i know you see people who want to be positive about it and speak in a positive light but if you're actually living it, it's very difficult to do. I'll say I have no problem with people hustling and, you know, going out, making that effort. Like if you're someone who never gets up and goes or you put no effort into it and you don't find anything, I mean, that's kind of on you to a degree, right? Um, and you can make the case because it's that hot. Like we know stuff's just not going to last. But what's going on now is just so ridiculous, and I definitely fear that the end game is that you know some of these, some more stores or companies in general just say the hell with it, because obviously they make some money off of selling these cards, right? But they do it through a vendor, and retail stores don't make a crazy amount off of vendor products. Pepsi, Coca-Cola... Lay's potato chips. They're more necessities that they have to carry 
to get people in the store because people come to the store, they want their Coca-Cola, they want their potato chips, they want the name brand potato chips, and they're coming to the store to get them, and then they're buying all the other stuff that the store sells. So I, I don't know like the finances of I don't even know if they get a percentage of sales or if they just get a if Target and Walmart gets a uh, like rental fee from the you know vending companies. I'm not I'm not really up in knowing how that works. But I do know that retail stores don't particularly want prime space to be sitting there empty. And they certainly don't want their employees being harassed. And they don't want upset customers. And that's just what's going on. And that is the situation. That is the reality of the situation. Everyone in this hobby is certainly entitled to do what they want to do. And again, if people want to hustle around and buy up cards and flip them, so be it. You want to open them and grade them, so be it. Really don't particularly have a problem with that. Um, but when people are rude and ignorant and they go around harassing the vendors, pestering them nonstop, not just asking like, hey, you know, when you might, you know, you can be polite. And if the vendor chooses to tell you something like, hey, I'll be back every, you know, once a week or I do it at this time generally, then they can tell you. And if they choose not to, then they choose not to. But to harass and follow and kind of try and bully and try and pay off is ridiculous. Um, when stores are putting limits on, they should be respected. And like anyone else, if they, if I want, you know, I want to, if I'm lucky enough to find boxes, I want the ability to buy some. I'd rather not be limited to only two if there's 15 there. I'd like to get four or six or whatever, or I'd like to get a couple of packs and a couple of boxes. But you'd, if a store puts a limit, you should be respectful of it. Exactly, 100%. But it's, and- it's so ridiculous right now. And I know people have tried to put positive spins on it. And it's just hard to do. I've, I occasionally will look for the retail stuff from time to time. Definitely not every day. Do not have the time for that. Um, Certainly not available for that. But I will, you know, get to a store and give myself a chance to at least get some. I mean, a couple years ago, you could kind of get what you wanted. Something like Topps Chrome would sell out pretty quickly. And then it would come out over the course of the next few weeks. And like eventually you would just find it randomly during the day. Like it's a waste of time to go during the day at this point. Unless you know that that's when they stock it at a certain point. But people now are covering not just like a store or two. Like there's literally groups of people going to dozens of stores covering multiple counties. Buying up everything bullying fellow customers have straight up seen it and heard about it bullying employees basically cursing off employees because they know theoretically if there's a limit they can't stop you if you go to the self-checkout you just scan them all pay and walk out like they can't their security guys is going to stand there and ask you to stop but they can't assault you they can't 
you know, there's nothing they can do. If they want to call the cops or something for disorderly conduct, you're going to be gone before they get there. And a lot of these people know that. So they're going to do what they're going to do. And that's the problem. And don't get me wrong. There are people out there looking for cards that buy them to flip them that are really nice people. There's people who go out there to buy cards to flip them that are fair. And if you're there with a couple people, they'll split them three ways. Or even if they're there first, maybe they'll take a little bit of the majority. Like they'll take half of them and let split. Like they'll be fair at least. But some of these people are just bad people. They're beyond greedy. They're not just a little greedy because everyone's got a little greed in them in a way. You want to hit something good. You want, you know, you want to get what you feel is your share. But the extreme greed is ridiculous. And in a way, it's hard to blame them because you can just look at the numbers and you can calculate in your mind quickly how much profit can be made. And if you hit the three stores and you hit do it five days a week, you can make an awful lot of money. And that's just the way it is right now. Will it last forever? I doubt it. But when you're basically telling other guests who are walking up, other customers to get lost, or you're harassing older individuals or bullying out people who are younger and smaller, then the bottom line is you're a jerk off like you just are. You're a greedy loser and you're bad for the hobby. You are. Um, I know some people like to say, oh, there's nothing. And like, I don't think there's anything wrong with flipping but a percentage of the people involved in that are just bad people. They just are. And I've seen it more than enough. And of course, there's people who are collectors that, you know, are not good. And so it's not just a flipper type of thing. And everyone's out for their own interest. And like, I understand that. But I've just seen some horror stories. And I, I really don't want to get into particulars because. Just give us one. It's just give not, you know, it's just not, it's not going to do anything good. Um, not that, you know, everyone's, anyone's going to connect this, but I mean, when I see people basically telling a 70 year old woman employee at a store who's trying to politely enforce a limit to F off and to get the F away from me. And other things like that's just that's just wrong and it's sickening. And animals, I, I've seen a, a whole lot of it. So the problem is, if you take away retail from Targets and Walmart's, you're doing no favors to the hobby. Empty shelves being there is also no favors to the hobby. And this type of mentality of all money is the thing that will eventually be the bubble burster that could be the downfall of the hobby. I've said before, the hobby in some way, shape or form has been around for over a hundred years and it will be here for a long time, but that doesn't mean it can't fall off substantially. And maybe that would be good for some people who just want to collect and don't care about values. But for those who put a lot of money into their collections, it, it won't be good. But the state of retail is a disaster right now. It's an out-and-out -out disaster. 
there's not a doubt in my mind that Target's website has been compromised by, I assume, bots. In the past, I've always been able to be, buy something from Target.com. Maybe not every product, but certain products. Easily able to jump on there and purchase some stuff. Even if you put in the, uh, they have a thing to get an alert. This year, I've not been able to buy one item on Target's website. I've gotten alerts at ridiculous times, like 3 a.m., that something like Topps Chrome was back in stock. Clicked on it because I'm up. Clicked on it within seconds out of stock. So that tells me that, you know, they're being bought up by bots. So it, it's a sorry situation. Anyway, what I was getting to was is a coup, like, man. You, you need... You need products on the shelves, those basic products, to get some kids. And it doesn't even have to be kids. Like when I say kids, it doesn't even have to be a six-year-old or an eight-year-old. It could be a 13-year-old, a 15-year-old, even a 25- or 30-year-old. You need people to be able to pass by and casually buy cards to help grow the hobby long-term. People who are buying them now that are buying up all the blasters for 20 just to sell them for 50 they don't care about the hobby. Again, there are I understand there's different types of people looking for cards. Like, I'm looking for them because I want to break them. I'm, I'm interested in a product like Mosaic, and I'm not going to pay six, seven, eight hundred dollars $800 for a hobby box. That's ridiculous. I'm going to get some retail. I'm going to open some. I'm going to keep some for the collection. Might grade a few. Gonna definitely sell a few too. I'm not gonna keep every single card because I'm not particularly a set builder. And I know there's other people out there doing the same thing. They want to buy them for their collection. They want to buy them to break them. Some people even want to buy them to sell them. But it's the behavior involved and the people who are distasteful people that are buying them for twenty to sell them for 50 and buying all the Pokemon because I don't know anything about that. I never touched something like Pokemon because, I mean, I guess it's, I don't know enough about it, but I'm sure there's ones you could buy and make an instant profit, whatever. Gotta catch them all. Not interested in that. But like these guys that are buying them all up, they don't care about the hobby and they're not adding any value to the long-term forecast of the hobby because once the $20 are only worth 22 they're out they're not buying any more cards there's a reason they're not buying the tops fire or the allen and ginter because allen and ginter were they going to pay 20 plus tax to sell it for 21 dollars? probably not so that's kind of some of my thoughts on the uh, state of retail but it's a hard situation there was one point where i was i guess um you know, kind of just out of touch with reality to a degree with something like a Walmart. Like I would stop at Walmart from time to time and, you know, mostly just to grab some stuff. But I, of course I'd be like, oh, let me check out the cards. And I haven't seen a pack of anything at the one Walmart that I passed by in months. And then I found, oh, well they do restock every Friday around noon, which is a really bad time for me personally. Evidently, Uh, There's three to four guys, the same guys, waiting there every week. Now, I don't know who these people are outside of one of them, who I know is not a good individual. But that's what happens. They just buy them up every week. So it's like clockwork. That's what's happening for the most part. 
is people have the schedule and they hit three stores, you know, every day. So, I, I mean, I know they're putting a lot of time and effort into it, but when you're acting in ridiculous fashions, that is, uh, that's not great. So Ed, how's I, your luck been with uh, retail <laughs> outside of the box or two? I think I've picked up for you. I had one taste of the battlefield and I said, no more, no more. I don't have a stomach for this. I went one time and had an awful experience. I, I mentioned this on my channel and the video where I talked about retail drama, but I basically, in case you didn't hear it, I go to target and the target that I'm going to has the two per limit. And as I'm walking over to the card section, there was five guys there and a target employee. And I don't know about you, but I've never seen a target employee basically, um, wrangling customers over at the card over at the card section i've just never seen that before so i go over there and there was a guy with a shopping cart he had every top fire blaster in his cart like there must have been about like 35 to 40 blasters of tops fire and they had some like value packs of of i think it was either football or basketball i can't remember offhand but there was Allen and Ginter, and I was going to that target because, one, I knew the policy that that target has. So I know I have a more fair shot at picking up a retail product. And, two, I wanted to get Allen and Ginter because uh, I wanted to uh, – I like that product. And I wanted to try to get some of the oddball cards that are in there. Maybe, you know, just get something to open because I haven't opened anything in a while. So anyway, I go over there. I go to get – they have all the value – value packs hanging up there must there was about like 30 of them so i go to take two of the value packs and one of the guy one of the guys that was over there arguing and i mean like intensely arguing with the target employee they're all facing the target employee intensely arguing they don't see me come up from behind to take the two packs the guy turns around he's like whoa 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 those are all mine i was here first and I was like, it's, I was totally startled. I was like, wait, what? So I was like, man, it's first come first serve. And before I could say anything else, the target employee said, she directs at the guy saying, we've been over this before. It's limit two per person. She's like, you can only buy two. And then they start, you know, his, his attention diverts back to the employee and they start screaming and hollering and, you know, curse words are being exchanged. You're hearing some really, really nasty stuff. And what did I do? I took my two packs and I got the hell out of there. I went right to the self-checkout, got my two packs. I looked over from the self-checkout, see that they're still going at it. And I just got out of there, got the hell out of there. And after that, I said, you know what? I'm not doing this again. I am not putting myself in a situation where I have to be around grown men arguing with people just trying to do their job, just trying to enforce a very fair policy. And all the other targets around me in my area do not have this policy. And if you go there, there's nothing there. So there's it's barren. There's not a damn thing on the shelf. So 
it's not worth it to me. I don't want to go through that. I love opening retail. I've been open retail for years. I love open tops Chrome, love open update, any baseball. I usually do a little bit of prism football or basketball. Guess what? Those days are long frigging gone because there's been a absolute retail charlatan coop that has happened <laughs> in the state of retail. And it's just, it's, it's, you know, basic civility. It, I know, Mike, you've experienced things. You touched up a little bit on it. But just the overall nastiness that some of these people spew is just, it's, it's, uh, it's something I don't want to be a part of. And it's just something that I just, I don't want that in, in my life. I don't, I don't want to deal with that. So after that experience, I'm not looking for retail. And, you know, there are, like you said, there are some very, very good people out there that are very civil and, you know, that do good. But I guess in our area, we got some downright animals. So if they don't get their way, they're going to, uh, pull fisticuffs out or physically or bully or verbally intimidate to get their way. Yeah, it's, just, a, uh, it's a sad state of the way things are. It's, it's not make believe. I mean, this is going on from uh sea to shining sea. Unfortunately. I mean, you hear the horror stories everywhere and everywhere is cleared out and it's very difficult to find. And it's just disappointing. I know in my most recent experience, I knew the vendor was going to the next store which is very close. I mean, sometimes people are traveling a distance, like literally maybe 10 minutes away. And I just said to myself, I was like, you know what? There's no doubt they're going to have more there, but I just don't want to be a part of this. I don't want to be around it. And I just said the hell with it. And I'm definitely like you pretty turned off the retail. I can't say I'm not going to attempt to get anything else. There's a few products I'd like to pick up. I mean, tops update coming in a few weeks and I'm going to be unlikely to buy hobby. I mean, of course, if the price comes down, maybe I don't really have great expectations for update this year. Chrome update has been something I've really enjoyed for the last few years, 2017, 18, 19, 20. Well, not 20 yet, but in its current format, I mean, I don't know that I'm going to find it worth uh, dealing with this stuff. For that, I want to definitely open some update. I mean, I, I do, but I don't know if I, I want to go deal. I don't want to be around such people. Just being around them can bring on those feelings of anxiety, and or to be even associated, to be looked at um, as if you're have the same values. It's it's a rough situation. Basically, around here, I think we could say for people who aren't from where our area. It's like Thunderdome. Two men enter, one man leaves. Except now it's like an eight-person, you know, battle. It's it's bad. It's really bad, and it's disappointing. Uh, I would love to get some prism football just to open a couple, but I don't see that happening. So who knows? The state of retail is really bad. Anyone who tells you otherwise is trying to sugarcoat it. Um, And, you know... Uh, obviously I don't, I don't blame people for, uh, buying what they can buy, but if you're there in a group or you're there with someone else, you should probably be civil about it and you should adhere 
to what the store requests and such because you're going to do nothing but, you know, ruin it uh, for everyone else and eventually yourself. So that's the state of retail. I kind of feel a little better after doing this podcast. I just hope anyone listening uh, feels the same. Maybe you guys had the same frustrations. Obviously, uh, let us know in the comments down below. Uh, I know we talked about some kind of uh, some salty topics, I guess, you know, between the state of grading, which is frustrating, the state of retail, which is disappointing. The fact that, you know, ComC and Tops, you know, those are personal experiences for me, but I'm sure some others and I've heard from other people have had similar experiences. And then, you know, some of that anxiety you feel during the hobby. And that doesn't mean, you know, just because we touched on all these negative things doesn't mean we're not having fun with the hobby. Uh, for example, and we're not going to spend time on it really because we're well above the uh length of the show we we're expecting but like i'm having fun with vintage cheap low-grade vintage i think uh there's an opportunity to add some cards at great prices to your collection and have fun with it hall of famers are great but even if it's just a team you collect or even a player there's a lot less stress in that a lot less competition sometimes you can find some great deals at auction and even modern you know, if 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 you have a player team to collect, there's certain things that will be difficult, but there's always opportunities to buy singles. Uh, it's, it's fun to rip stuff, but sometimes it makes more sense to buy singles, and I think perpetually singles are undervalued when you factor in the difficulty of pulling the card you want and the cost of breaking a product. Generally, most singles are actually underpriced. They might look expensive on paper because you're like 100 bucks for one card, but if you actually factor in the amount of money you would likely have to spend to pull that card, typically that single price is what makes sense. So definitely everything is not bad in card land. It's still a fun hobby. Talk about it every day with uh, friends of mine throughout the community. You know, Ed and I, you know, sometimes we'll... Uh, bitch and moan about things going on in our private discussions but often more so more often than not i i think we have positive conversations would you agree ed oh yeah definitely and sometimes it's fun to exchange these war stories at the local target or walmart like i said that's just the way it is you know <laughs> with with the rise in popularity of the hobby there's aspects that are great about it it's cool seeing it see re get recognition it's nice to see more people enter the hobby but with every good comes some bad, and that's the way it's going to be. When things rise in value, people are going to seek that opportunity. I mean, we've seen it with everything. You see it every year around Christmas, right? The hot toy. You think everybody out there is a big Furby fan? You think everyone's got an eight-year-old daughter that wants a Furby? I don't think so. I think they hear about it from someone and go, oh, that costs 30 bucks and I could sell it for 150 on eBay. Yeah, I want to go get some Furbies. I know Furbies is a trend from like 15 years ago, but that's the first thing that popped into my mind. But every year that happens around Christmas time, every year, you know what happens in January and February? The price drops like a rock because people aren't seeking it for Christmas. They're not in desperation mode to buy it. And the people who didn't sell them all get stuck with them and go, what the hell am I going to do with this Furby? And they run over to their local store and return it. So, I mean, that's kind of what yeah. enters here with sports cards. And that's kind of one of my fears uh, with the hobby going forward is if it's overexposed to the extreme flipper slash um, 
non-collecting investor type that there's just an overabundance of things. And I know people have talked about that even with credit cards. The amount of slabs on planet Earth is growing exponentially day by day. And is there going to be enough people that want to collect them all? And that's what you have to wonder. I've talked about Beanie Babies in the past. Um, you know, Beanie Babies caught fire and caught popularity. And it got to the point where, next thing you know, there were more people selling Beanie Babies than actually collecting Beanie Babies. You know what happened? The market crashed. And that's what you have to worry about with sports cards to a degree. There'll always be people collecting. But how many people with deep pockets are going to be collecting this crazy stuff? Always things to think about. Never thought I would be on a podcast where we talk where Beanie Babies and Furby are both mentioned. Neither did I. Neither did I. But <laughs> I mean, you just you can draw these con- comparisons because that's what you're seeing at the retail level, at least of this. And you know. Like I said, most people involved in the hobby are awesome people and they're great people, but don't fool yourself and think everyone is because it's just not the case. Shout out to Tickle Me Elmo and the Hatchimals. I'm sure they all have their days in the sun, just like whatever uh, fallen uh, athlete has. So what are you going to do? All right, Ed, it's been uh, over an hour and 25 minutes. Good conversation. Got a lot of stuff off our chest. Hope to do it again soon. Definitely, I say it all the time, hope to do another podcast sooner rather than later. Have a bunch of people I'd like to have on, but I'm also uh, always happy to have Ed on. And uh, I'm sure we'll be speaking on another episode quite soon. So, Ed, thank you for joining me. And if you have any final thoughts, feel free to express them now. Uh, thanks for having me on, Mike. Appreciate this conversation. I actually feel a lot better uh, than I do now than I did at the beginning. Got We definitely got a lot of uh, vented out, a lot of frustrations, and it was fun talking about a lot of these hot topic uh, issues in the hobby and what's going on. And I'm just very intrigued to see what the comments are going to be on this uh, particular podcast because I'm really curious to see what people think. And uh, to see how other people's experiences have been in certain situations. So leave a comment down below. I'm really curious to get some feedback on this particular episode. Yeah, you can post those comments. Uh, I believe you can post comments on SoundCloud. This will be published on YouTube, which we'll definitely be reading comments there. If you're listening on iTunes or one of the other places that podcasts are made available, uh, check out the YouTube channels, uh, Myco and also Wesker Griff. That's Ed and myself and postcards talking about sports cards. And they're not always an hour and a half long. I promise you that. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you next time. Have a great one. Mm-hmm.